Well, today we start a new series, Cars, Chairs, and Children. And the reason it's called this is because what we're going to do is we're going to take five weeks and explain to you why we do what we do on a Sunday. What an hour on a Sunday can do to catalyze city lights, to catalyze uh, you know, our disaster response team. I mean, just the things that happen, we, we are very aware that an hour on Sunday is the catalytic event. But to make a Sunday happen, you got to have a place for people to put their cars. you got to have chairs for people to sit in. And you got to have a place where they feel like their children are secure and are growing. And if you have two out of three of those, you're not going to be hitting on all cylinders. And so we're going to spend a few weeks... For those of you who've been around here for a while, it's going to be, oh, yeah, that's right, I forgot that. For those of you, the scores of you that are new, it's going to be, okay, that's where I fit in. And hopefully, by even the end of the day, you're beginning to think about where you fit in to making cars, chairs, and children happen. And you won't want to miss next week because it's about children. And you won't want to miss in two weeks when it's about cars and parking. Anybody want our parking? (laughs) to improve, you know, so we're working on that, and uh, you won't want to miss, and your role in that. But today, I have with me Kathy Glista, and uh, some of you remember a year ago, Kathy was, um, told her story, which could be on 60 Minutes. It was that amazing uh, of a story. If you, if you want to go back to the archives and see that, you can see her story, and uh, she told that last Mother's Day. But Kathy, you're up here. You're our pastoral leadership development. The reason is, is that today you stand at this intersection of you're a mom and, and then also you are so right in the middle of the Southbrook Circus, making the, sure the tent goes up and the elephants don't run over people. Yes. You, you know, and Every so you're, you're in the middle. I mean, I'm telling you, leading a church has to be just like a circus. It does. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's just so, it's crazy. It's complicated. And uh, take us back for a minute and give us a little bit, as a little girl growing up in Lexington, Kentucky, go Cats. Go Cats. Go Big Blue. Yeah. <laughs> Where really Christianity is second to basketball in it's, terms of religion in the, in, the, in, the, in the state. <laughs> give us a sense of your growing up and uh, was church a part of your growing up? Yeah, well, church was a big part of my life. My mom was really institutional in taking us to church like every single Sunday. I mean, we were there all the time. It was Wednesday night, too, at that time, and Sunday night, and a lot of times. But um, at the time that we started... So you would never have to go to church the rest of your life. You're churched up already, right? Church, if you like, didn't want I'm to... I'm getting into heaven just from going to church. That's, okay, that's, okay, that's right. There I'm you go. There. Yeah. I'm there. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, but we would... Um, you know, there were five kids in my family. By the time we started going to church... I was a little bit older, and there was only four kids in our family at the house, but they were all girls, and we had one bathroom. So can you imagine that on a Sunday morning, trying to get ready? Chaotic is the word, and I'm sure many of you all can relate to Sunday morning chaos, right? It's just it's just everybody's running around trying to get their shoes. And okay, how many of you cussed getting ready for yeah. today? How many of you? I Come on, you're in church. Confess, okay? Be, come clean. It's Be, okay. Before God and his church. Come yeah. clean. You cuss. Yeah, you, you cuss. Can do it. You know, I remember my mom saying all the time, if you girls are not in the bus in five minutes, I am leaving without you. <laughs> and the, uh, we tried that. That would never happen. That was just code for you're going to be in big trouble if you're not in the car. Yeah. That's all that was code for. But, it, you know, it was a good time. My mom, she, did, she was just the one that really made sure that we were always in church. Yeah. Now, she volunteered. Right. Mm-hmm. So so this is it's when you look at your your family history, yeah. 
it's not a mystery to see why you've been so, you and John have been so, if you don't know, John was the male vocal leader right now. It's her husband, John. And you guys have been so instrumental going back to 1995 with Southbrook. When you look at your mom, um, your dad did not attend church. He, yeah, he, he was the son of a Methodist minister, I think, yeah. right? So yeah. uh, he, he, did not att- he, he didn't want anything to do with it. It, but your mom did, and she volunteered. So she is, yeah. she is spiritually single, yeah. Yeah. and and she's volunteering. So yeah. uh, unpack that a little bit. Elaborate on that a little bit. Well, yeah. So uh, when I was younger, neither, of course, when, neither one of my parents went to church. Um, yeah, I don't know if my dad got turned off because of his dad was a minister or what. But yeah, he just did not want to go to church, and so um, we didn't go when I was young. But when I was in second grade, I had a teacher, and her name was Mrs. Cassidy. And she went to Southland Christian Church in Lexington. And one day she invited my mom to go to church. And that was just the beginning of um, us going to church really all the time. She just went from that time on. She was very hesitant to go. I remember her telling me that she really did not want to go, but Mrs. Cassidy just kept asking her. Um, Every time she'd show up to class to pick me up or something, she'd ask her. And um, really, Mrs. Cassidy formed a generational change in our family just because of that one ask, you know? She really changed that within my mom and within our family because all of us now are Christ followers. All of her kids are Christ followers, and we all go to church, you know? And so it's just that one 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 ask. ask. Yeah, Mrs. Cassidy. Yeah, And I still remember her. For those of you that volunteer, your names will be remembered because of the influence that you have on people, you know? Whatever that is that you're doing in whatever capacity. Yeah, you know, so we talk. So one of the things that you need to know, and this is this doesn't mean we're right, but we've always been very specific in who we're trying to reach because what you do is you is in the words of, of Mel Gibson, aim small, miss small. So when you target this certain person, what happens is you reach those circles around that person. So explain. Your mom was what we call Heather. Yeah. And so we're ta- we talk around here about Heather and Heathcliff. Yeah. Her yeah. husband. Yeah. You know, yeah. and. Uh, so talk about that because, uh, especially as revealed in our survey, we have a lot of Heather and Heathcliffs that have just started becoming a part of Southbrook in the last year. Right. Uh, explain, because your mom was Heather. Right, right. She's like, you know, that's the term we've come up now, but my mom was the original Heather, that one person, you know, that you can have in your head and your mind of who you could invite to church, that one person that might just need this day. You know, and you never know what that is or what that is for someone. And so Mrs. Cassidy saw that in other people. She, my mom wasn't the only person, obviously, that she invited to church. She invited many people to church. And so my mom was the original Heather that um, she got that idea of what church was about and how we are all needed within the whole body of the church, not just one person mm-hmm. sitting and not just people on staff, you know, but people who are um, fully encompass this body of people. Well, it's really interesting because the question that comes up is, can I be a Christian and not go to church? And my answer to that is always, not for long. Yeah. Because the very definition is community. The very, it's, it's, yeah. it, the very definition of what it means to be a Christ follower is, in Acts it says this, and he added to his church those who were being saved. Yeah. So the minute you accept Christ, he adds you to his, and the image we're going to see today, his body. Now you so you so when ninety five you and John come move here from Colorado in ninety five, and you begin investing and so our kids grew up together, 
our kids did all kinds of things that we don't even want to know about on yeah. the back of our property on Spring to. Valley Road. I mean, we I, we're still later. finding out <laughs> stories of things that happened as our kids grew up together. But as a mom, you know, mom sits here, and, 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 and there's, I feel especially for that. Sherry and I were talking last night about her dad wasn't an attender, and her mom, it really limited her attendance because there were, back in the 70s, if a woman was by herself at church, there was a, like, there was a statement. There was yeah. a stigma to it. Yeah. And um, so your mom was that mom. Yeah. And now, then you're, now you're a, a church leader and the responsibility of being a spiritual influence is enormous with every mom. It's a, the, all the numbers show that the, 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 the dad affects our view of authority. It really does. That's why when I'm interviewing someone, one of the first questions I ask someone is, what's your relationship with your dad? But our mom really drives our relationship with the spiritual part of us. That, that the mom really drives that, that part of us that is the, the eternal part. So you're doing this as a mom speaking to other Heathers right now. What would you tell them in terms of how to raise kids with a spiritual influence? Well, I, you know, I think many times we try and just do it on our own. Know, feel like we can we have to do it on our own but I realized that I didn't need to do it on my own at all um, thankfully I had a husband who helped me with the spiritual development of our kids and that was really good statistically speaking when you have two parents or two people that are raising kids um, then that the statistics of them becoming Christ followers and following yeah. Jesus later and going to church and becoming leaders raise dramatically so it's amazing when that happens but I realized I didn't have to do it alone and I can I can literally look out here in this audience and see the faces of people that helped me with my kids and helped me raise them. You and Sherry and Rita and Bud and uh, Tony and Sandy Heck and Bob and Beth Britton and mm -hmm. the names can go on. Um, you know, people who helped me raise my kids so that I didn't need to do it on my own or feel like I was on my own. You know, and that's exactly what the church is about. We say a lot around here about being needed and known and we talk about being needed obviously when you're in a church that needs lots of volunteers we need people to do tasks and things but when we talk about being needed and known being needed is understanding that we are all in this revolution together that we are all one body and we are all doing parts and being together in this and that when um, you have something that you need I can be there for you and when I have something that needs to uh, need help with that you can be there for me and that's what the church it's all about, and we can all be a part of that opportunity. Amen. Yeah. We, 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 it's so appropriate that you and John are both leading today because, you know, in 1 Peter 2, Peter says that you all are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. And there are, there are hundreds of people in this room right now that are building their stone into the wall of Southbrook, and you and John are down there, and there are a lot of stones stacked on top of you too. <laughs> so would you guys give it up for Kathy and John and thanks Kathy yeah. for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so in 1992 on a snowy wintry January day, the Bills were playing the Redskins in the Super Bowl. That's how I remember things. Uh, um, we had our first Sunday at Southbrook, this new church. It was called Centerville Christian Church at the time. And Sherry and I saw this potential in this place and 
the first Sunday, 72 people were there in a building. We rented the Seventh-day Adventist building at that time. It, it seated 500. So there was room for everyone to take a nap if they wanted to that Sunday. And, um, and, but we saw this potential in this place. And very shortly after, Frank and Tamara Crockett would join us. And, and um, John and Kathy Glista would join us. And Mike and Christy Smith would join us. And these key people. And then among those 72 were people who were willing to do whatever. They, it wasn't a, that's not my job. They were willing to do. We only had 72 people, but we had the right 72 people. Many of them, as Kathy said, are still with us today. I think John Pfeiffer, who will be on the front row with Connie in the second service today, because he's serving right now, as he has been for 31 years plus in Southbrook Kids. And... Um, he is now serving the kids of kids he served. And uh, we, had a, we had a real passion. I'm an evangelist apostle at heart. And so we had this passion to reach people that didn't like church. As a matter of fact, our mantra was, if you had it with, disorganized, with organized religion, join us. We're disorganized religion. We, we really don't know what we're doing, but we have a passion to reach people who don't like church. And I can't tell you how many times I was told this won't work. You can't build a church with people who don't like church. Um, and yet I, 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 we just knew, we all knew that there had to be a place. You know, if you threw a rock up in Dayton, it would come down on top of a church building. It didn't, Dayton didn't need another, another church church. It needed a place that people who said, I've given up on religion. I've given up on institutional religion. And um, so, you know, we're still here. And, um, yeah. And, uh, and it's just remarkable because we've seen the church go through these seasons, just remarkable seasons. And, you know, we always talk about 9-11. That was the day our church doubled. And it was like literally our church doubled in, on one Tuesday morning in 2001. And then 311 hit in 2020, and our church was eliminated. <laughs> it was just, it was gone. And, um, and here we are. We're here we are. And uh, we're serving Western Kentucky, and we're serving inner city Dayton, and we're, you know, we're being a light to our community. And it's because people like John and Kathy Glista have said yes. And so we want you to know the inner mechanics in this series of why we do what we do. We, we, we intentionally do things that, that torque the shorts of church people. Because we never wanted to be a place that church transfers would say, yeah, I have found heaven. No, there are plenty of places for people who like church. But if you want to be at a place that is really prioritizing people who don't like church, then, then this will be your heaven. This will be your place because you'll grow. Um, one of our mantras has been uh, by an old missionary, C.T. Studd said, some want to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And uh, that's, why a, that's why recovery is at the heart of our church. That we always at core wanted to be a safe place for people who are broken to find refuge. Our mission is to connect people to Christ, not religion. 
we have an amazing, amazing burden with our mission, and that is to de-religionize Christ. Because what, a, what the West did is it religionized what was not meant to be a religion. It was meant to be an irresistible movement that people said, that's what the world's been waiting for right there, and I want to be a part of that. And I'll repent and turn to that. And so let me unpack this. this today is just an intro and then it, to begin putting sand in your oyster. What happens when a sand goes into oyster? It irritates the heck out of the oyster. But what gets produced? A pearl of great price. And today what we want to achieve on this Mother's Day, and we talk about, you know, the, the, today there's someone here today. There is a Heather here today that this was not an ordinary Sunday, that this was the Sunday that changed her life. I mean, some of you do this every week and you think that there are no ordinary Sundays for someone. And why? Well, what I want to do is take a few minutes and go back to a section of Scripture that I unpacked briefly last week. But I'm going to go deeper into it this morning. And some of you who are here or you listened last week, you'll recognize this. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is in Athens, the center of Greek philosophy and religion. And it says in Acts 17, 16, that Paul saw all the idols and was distressed. So there's this holy burden that these people are lost. They're searching, but they're lost. And in verse 17, it says he goes into the synagogue in Athens first. There was a Jewish place of worship where the scriptures are studied, and he realizes that he's not going to make much of an impact in Athens reaching people who already know the scriptures. He's not going to make much of an impact. As a matter of fact, what he needs to do is he needs to be able to communicate to people who don't know the scriptures. And that's where he can have a generational impact. That is, you have to understand, that is at the core of our strategy. Dayton doesn't need more churches that help people who already understand the Scriptures, understand the Scriptures more. By the way, one of the reasons is most Christians are educated in the Bible beyond their level of obedience anyway. So as much as I'm a Bible studier and I'm all for Bible study, there are plenty of churches in Dayton that do that. And so we wanted to say, let's create an event that like Paul in Athens, we go where? Well, he went, verse 18, he goes to the unsynagogued people at the Areopagus, the Rock of Ares, Mars Hill. And this is where all the philosophers sat and just talked, just yacked. It even says in Acts 17 that they just spent all their time doing nothing but talking. And in verse 18, after he's talked to them about the resurrection, they say, this guy's a babbler. He's not making any sense. So he has to contextualize. He has to grab a hold of something that's in their world so he can contextualize this. He's a Hebrew. He knows how to speak to people who understand the scriptures. By the way, it's not hard to speak to Christians who understand. It's not. He knows how to do that. He is a Roman. He knows how to speak Romans. But he is not, this is not a home game for him. This is a, an away game. He's speaking to Greeks. So he's got to, he's got to grab a hold of something right now that'll lodge into their minds that they know that says, oh, this is what you mean. And so, verse 19, he says, I want to talk to you of all the idols that are in here. Remember last week, I want to talk to you about that unknown God. That's one of your idols. Now look at this, look at this. In this post-Christian era, 
Okay, so people say, boy, America is becoming less spiritual. No, it's not. America is more spiritual than it's ever been. It's post-Christian. It's not a Christian nation anymore. It's not. And so if you're a Christian, you're, on, you're not on the home turf anymore. And so a large part, if you're going to connect with people with the gospel, and trust me, there are people who say, we get this wrong. I, I, and I, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with them. We may be. God is the decider. But a large part of what we must do is intersect that which is sacred, the gospel, with that that is pagan in this world. So we have to say, hey, you know that unknown God right over there on that part, that shelf? Let me talk to you about that guy. Grabbing from your world. Hey, you know that movie you saw Friday night? Let's talk about that. Hey, you know that song about breaking up that Taylor Swift had? Let's talk about that. Because, that, that, you know, that, you know. So grabbing from, and we must, look at this, look at this, Southbrook. We must blur the line between our religious spiritual experiences. This is, this is really important. We must blur the line between our religious spiritual experiences and the everyday environment where people think they live without God. They think they're living without God. Now, you look at, look at, that's why this text is important, is, is Paul is going to show them that God you're talking about, in him you live and move and have your being. You breathe every breath you take. It's, it's his air. He is closer than you think. This is, this is the way Jesus communicated, by the way. Best description of this I've ever read from Eugene Peterson. Look at this. Jesus' favorite speech form was the parable. The parable, the story form. It was subversive. Parables sound absolutely ordinary. Casual stories about soil and seeds, meals and coins and sheep, bandits, victims, farmers, merchants, and they're wholly secular. Of his 40 or so parables recorded in the Gospels, only one has its setting in church, and only a couple mention the name God. As people heard Jesus tell these stories, they saw at once that they weren't about God. So there was nothing in them that was threatening. They relaxed their defenses. They walked away perplexed, wondering what they meant. And the stories lodged in their imagination. And then like a time bomb, they would explode in their unprotected hearts. An abyss opened up at their very feet. He was talking about God. They had been invaded. And this is, you know, when people have said to me, you know what? I didn't think this was a real church. I'd heard from the church community that Southbrook is not a real church. It doesn't really teach the scriptures. It waters it down. And then I came and I realized, oh my gosh, there's nothing true about that. I'm still not sure this is a real church, but man, you got me. That's when I know we're doing Jesus' way. And that he, would, he, he eliminated the secular sacred line. I mean, how many times, I remember the first time I got up when we transitioned to say, we're going to reach people from where they are. And back in the 90s, people still remembered the song Dust in the Wind by Kansas and Carrie Lifton. And then we played, we did that song. And then I stood up and said, let me talk to you about what it means to be more than dust in the wind. Carrie Lifton was a Christ follower. He was speaking the book of Ecclesiastes. And so this is what Paul did in Athens. He de-religionized the movement of Jesus and made it what? Human. Paul wasn't trying to reach believers. He wasn't trying to reach seekers. He was trying to meet human beings. And the last I checked, even believers are human beings. Everybody has one thing in common. We are all human beings. And in this country right now where Christianity is stigmatized, one of the things the church has to do is de-religionize it actually go out of our way 
to bring the reality of God into their lives now, not just an hour on Sunday morning. So look at verse 22 of Acts 17. He stood up to meeting the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Good for you. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar to an inscription, this inscription to an unknown God. They wanted the bases covered, so all the idols, they had one just in case we missed one. Now what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. He's grabbing their attention. Remember this. When you hear people say, Southbrook's all about entertainment, do you know what the word entertain means? To grab attention. Amusement means to divert attention. So you go to an amusement park, it's so your attention is diverted. And when you're screaming on that roller coaster, your attention is diverted. It's hijacked. Entertain means grab attention. We work really hard at entertaining. It's to grab attention. That's what he's doing. That's what Jesus did with stories. Is He grabbed a hold of people's attention. This is different. This is different. And he says the word unknown God. It literally meant the God of the agnostics. Let me, all of you who are searching, but you're agnostic still, let me talk to you about that God. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. See what he's doing? You know, how many of you have ever said, don't cuss in church? Now, you can cuss like a sailor outside of church, but God's in church and he might hear you. That's temple theology. When people say, don't lie to the preacher, or don't, or don't cuss when you're playing golf with the preacher. That's temple theology. I, I, trust me, God doesn't care whether you cuss in here or out of here. Because he, 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 he he's not limited to the temple. This isn't the temple anyway, by the way. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He's non-contingent. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He says, I'm not trying to bring, look, look at this. He said, I'm not talking to you about a God you've never experienced. You have experienced him and you did not know it. If I said, if I said to your fish in your tank, we have fish in our house. And if I said, hey, how's the water? The fish would go, I don't know. What's water? What's water? Because what do they know? They only know to be alive in water. And when, we, and when we share the gospel, we don't have to go, hey, let me tell you about this God that you've never experienced. No, you have experienced it. When the memory of your mother brings a tear to your eye, you're experiencing the God who gave you that mother, who came up with the idea of mom. That's the power of this gospel. It's not an hour on Sunday. It is 168 hours a week we live and move and have our being. From one man, verse 26, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And what Paul is doing here is exactly what we're trying to achieve in seven days a week. But what we want to catalyze on Sunday. Verse 29, he says, since, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. Remember this last week? In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Search is over. The way, the truth, and the life has come. It's here. It's now. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, Jesus, he has appointed. 
He has given proof to, of all this to all men by raising him from the dead. Boom! Drop the mic, Paul. Now look what happened. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, verse 32, some of them sneered, but others said, I'm coming back next Sunday. I'm not convinced, but you got me for another week. We want to hear you again. And at that, Paul left the council. He knew when to end a sermon. Land the plane, please. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. And also a woman named Damaris. And, and the reason she's mentioned is she would become a prominent leader. And a number of others. And, you know, I read that. It's, you know, here that's been Steve and Sally and Connie and Sue and Jim. Here's what we want you to hear in this series. We, we want you to hear two things. Invest and invite. Like when you wonder, in this big church, it's hard to connect. And we're working so hard to make it easy, obvious, and helpful to connect. But in that meantime, what, what, oh, that's right. What am I about? Invest and invite. Invest and invite. That's all you got to remember. When we go through these five weeks together as a church, all you'll need to remember is invest and invite. That's the, as I'm giving you the end right now because the reason you're sitting here today is because hundreds and thousands of people before you invested fully. And there was a chair for you. Um, so you have to ask, how can I invest my time, my talent, my treasure to be a fully vested part of this body. Look at these words from 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you collectively are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. If you've accepted Christ, he has added you to his body. He has gifted you with gifts that you don't think it's a gift because your gift, let's say, of hospitality, it's easy. I know, it's because you're gifted at it. <laughs> For those of us who aren't gifted, yeah, you should go to a gathering that I plan sometime. Because I don't have the gift of hospitality. They're not going to be frilly little cookies. But I'm telling you, you go to a party that Donna Nicewanger planned with her, I mean, you've never had a cookie until you've had Donna Nicewanger's cookies, man. And I mean, it's a totally different day. Why? It's because everybody has a gift. It's the Holy Spirit energizes in you these gifts. I discovered in college, mine was speaking when that was the furthest thing from my mind my whole life. And so he, look at this. Verse 7 of Ephesians 4. Each one of you, each one of you, caries has been given. Grace, a gift. That's what, that's what the word grace means, a gift. Each one of you, you have a role to play. As Christ is born, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. So he conquered the enemy and he, all, he doled out gifts to claim that I know we've landed on Normandy. Now let's go take Germany. Let's go, let's go, take, let's go take the Nazis. Now I'm going to give you gifts to do that. And what does ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He came here. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. The reason Jesus left 
is because we couldn't all have him if he were here in body, but now we can all have him. We can all experience him, and we get to see him in each other. That's, it's really cool when this works right. So Christ himself gave, he gave the apostles, we call those catalyzers. They're the people like me who just start things. We just start things. The prophets, those who speak into culture. The evangelists, those who are recruiters. That's what, that's what an evangelist is. They're just recruiters who say, you, you, you got to be a part of this. you got to join this church. you got to accept Christ. The pastors and teachers who oversee. And so it says, look at verse 12. He says, so they'll do everything, right? Is that what it says? No. The role of us is to do what? Equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. One of the misnomers of church is that, hey, you're paid to do ministry. No, I'm paid to equip you to do ministry. That's what I, I mean, if, if you're not getting equipped to serve, we're not doing our job. And so we got to have, we got to have people go, yep, I'm invested. I want to be a part of a place that's de-religionizing Christianity, that's making it purely about a relationship with Christ that makes you love, have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because you know what? Our world, my house, our office needs more of that. Right? And so invest. And then the second thing is even when it's not your turn to volunteer, it's your month off, it's your week off, whatever it is, here's something that every one of you can pray about and do, and that is invite. And this is when it gets exciting, being a part of a church that doesn't get it all right, but we do try to communicate it in a way that, and we fail in a way that an outsider can understand it. If you bring a friend, they're not going to get freaked out by us doing stuff that I had no understanding at all what he was talking about. It was so Christian-y. It was so churchy. I had no one, I don't know church code. And I didn't, I didn't understand a thing he was saying. And when you invite a friend, they may not like it. Most people don't the first time. But they'll go, I'll come back next week. And when you do that, it, this is the power of what we call the one. Remember in Luke 15 when Jesus said this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Average flock in that day was 30. This is a big flock. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there was more rejoicing in heaven over one, one Carol, one Craig, one Heather, one Heathcliff who repents than over 99 church people who don't need to repent. That's my translation. That's not Jesus' words. The point of this is, is, is now, once you become a part of the church, you're part of the 99. And the question is, will you see it as, as a huge part of the adventure of living a part of the 99? Is the, today the day that he brings someone across my path and she becomes the one person that I could say, hey, I've got a place for you to go to. You see, Southbrook, all of us, this is the thing to remember. We do this 51 times a year. What we do after this hour is what really matters. But this hour is catalytic. We're, we're realists. And look at this. As you invite, always remember this. There are no ordinary Sundays for someone. 
that, that for someone here today, they've never heard the gospel put this way. And something has shifted inside of them today. This wasn't an ordinary Sunday. Down through the years, we've, we've told it this way. A Southbrooker invites her friend to Southbrook. We'll call her Heather. And Heather thinks, to get my friend off my back, I'll attend a service. And so she, and some of you, that's where you started, your spiritual journey. And so she pulls up to 9095 Washington Church Road. She's a single mom. She meanders through the parking lot. Not that part. Uh, being helped by a member of the parking lot team who volunteer their time in the wonderful Ohio weather. And uh, she follows the crowd to the front door, which is really the back door. She wonders if the church is confused about other things as it is about this. Someone at the door opens the door for her, and she, she walks into this activity that it makes her feel lost. Imagine if today you went to a Muslim temple, and you walked in how you would feel. That's how she feels. That's how she feels. And so she comes into this, these trout just crossing the stream in front of her. And she thinks she might head home until a perceptive volunteer reads the look of panic on her face and says, is this your first time? And she says, Heather says yes. And she says, well, come with me. And she takes her to the information center where some people are ready to help her out. And she says, well, and one of, the, one of the people at the information says, come with me. Your child is going to love Southport Kids, your daughter. is going to love Southport Kids. And Southport Kid volunteers greet the mom and greet the daughter at a counter low enough for her daughter to see them. And this mom entrusts her most prized possession to people she does not know. And... She doesn't know that the very volunteer who took her daughter arrived 15 minutes early so that she could be here for this. That volunteer is not my wife because she's never 15 minutes early to anything. <laughs> Just thought I'd get that in. <laughs> How many of you, if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late? It's me, yeah. And as the mom, as Heather retraces her steps back through the, the atrium, she goes through the atrium and in the cafe area where she sees people drinking coffee. And none of them are spilling it, which is so wonderful. And she's so impressed and she feels on the outside until another volunteer sees her and says, Hey, uh, can I help you? And she says, well, Let me take you into the theater. And she walks into this room that's somewhat dark and it's intimidating. But she says, you know, the service is about to start, but I do know that you'll get more out of it if you sit toward the front and look at the preacher like he's saying the most wonderful things you've ever heard in your life. And so she takes her up to the four, about the fourth row. And the music is, is not like nothing she ever thought of church music. And the light, she doesn't know that the lights are all about, that's our stained glass. It's a lot cheaper than stained glass, but it's the beauty of color. And she's, this is just not what I think of as church. 
And as she sits down, the preacher gets up. She thinks, I wonder if he's long-winded. And she thinks to herself, I love long sermons, though. And I hope he just keeps going on and on and on. She has no idea that adjacent to that, to that room is in the, in the prayer room are people praying for her. The reason this whole thing happens is because people are praying. And the musicians and the singers, they sound good, and the room's bright because technical volunteers got here early this morning to get everything final and ready, and she doesn't know that this whole week she has been presented to the God who knew she'd be here for this appointment. And the music is awesome, and the, and the message makes her laugh a little bit and a shed a little bit of a tear. So she's not just getting information. She realizes she's having an experience. She's experiencing something. She hears that she matters deeply to a God who gave himself for her fully, held nothing back, was raised to life for her justification, which if you're outside of church means you're declared innocent. And as, a, and, and as a person who's lived a lot of her life with a deep, dark secret that happened to her in college, it's huge to her that this might be true. And she senses an amazing spirit. She senses that people aren't here because they, they have to be. They're here because they want to be. After the service ends, her head is still spinning, and she goes to pick up her little girl. And her first words, her six-year-old says to her, Mom, can we come back here next week? And the mom says, I think so, honey. And excitedly, her daughter shows her some pictures that she drew. And she says, Mom, I learned about Jesus today. And her mom says, I did too, honey. I did too. And that will happen to someone this month. That will happen to a single mom this month. It's worth giving your life to, friends. Come back next week because we're going to talk about children. You were all one at one time, I think. <laughs> I think. Some of you I have doubts about. I think you were born grumpy, and, and, uh, but I think you were a child at one time. You will not want to miss next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for moms. That, that left side of our brain of authority is so often framed by the patriarchal role, but Man, the matriarch is what forms so much that tender, if we will call it right brain side, the, the side of us that is open to subjectivity and abstract, the very things that are the kingdom of our Christ. We're still here. We're still here doing it wrong. We're still here making mistakes, and you use us still. Because you use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and we are the foolish. We are fools for Christ. And we don't know what you have for us. We do know it'll be flawed. It'll be imperfect as we try to do it. But you will never let us down. It's so good to trust in Jesus Christ. You can bring honey from a rock if you need to. And thank you for the many times in our lives we've seen you do just that. So we'll stay out of your way. 
as we invest and invite, do your work as only you can do through your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And we thank you that we get a part to be a part of the great adventure of making the gospel known in Athens. <laughs> in Christ our Lord, we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. See you next week, everybody, for part two.